as I travel, I just, I take these little lessons and try to, you know, God rest his soul, Anthony Bourdain. I used to love watching his shows. And I, I feel Likewise. like, I'm like, I want to just be the Anthony Bourdain for like the startup community. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a great goal to have. Yeah. People no. out there listening, you know, call, I don't have an agent, but if I had one, call them. We'll make yeah. that happen. <laughs> all right. All right. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. What's up, folks? Welcome to another episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour. Today's episode is all about this following quote. Innovation is the process of improving the human condition. That quote is said by my friend Travis Sheridan, who is the executive director of the Venture Cafe Global Institute. Now, if you don't know what Venture Cafe is, don't worry. We are going to go into that in today's episode. But as you might have guessed from the intro, Travis basically has one of the coolest jobs in the world. He gets to travel around and establish innovation communities in cities around the world, which is what Venture Cafe does. They create these groups for people that are innovators, working in startups, working in the business scene in various series to get together and share ideas and collaborate on a weekly basis. It's a very cool thing. I've actually attended events like this in my hometown of St. Louis as well as Tokyo, and it's very interesting to see the different dynamics of innovation communities around the world. Now, this interview was actually recorded just about a year ago for my other podcast, Pubcast Worldwide, where I interview restaurateurs, musicians, creatives, as well as entrepreneurs. And honestly, the topic around innovation seemed so fitting for Manufacturing Happy Hour as well. I wanted to shorten and repurpose this episode a bit and share it with you here on this show. With that said, what are the three things you can expect from today's episode? Well, first, we're going to talk about Travis's background in entrepreneurship and what ultimately led him to building out Venture Cafe first in St. Louis and then abroad. Second, we discuss what innovation means, and this is really the biggest part of the interview. We talk about who it benefits, who it should benefit, and this gets us into conversations about solving first world problems versus deeper societal issues. Some of the conversations are in the context of St. Louis, Missouri, where Travis currently lives, and like I said, where I'm originally from, but these topics can be extrapolated to many other cities. Finally, in the second half of the interview, we talk about some of the different cities where Venture Cafe currently exists and what the innovation communities in those places are like. We take you everywhere from Sydney to Rotterdam to Tokyo. I think you're going to enjoy this little exploration of innovation around the world. Before we get going into today's episode, you should know that Pubcast Worldwide is a little different from Manufacturing Happy Hour. We place a little bit more emphasis on what we're drinking as well as the venue where we are. So I'm excited for Travis to introduce you to the Scottish Arms, the pub where we recorded this interview in December of 2018. Beyond that, I've got a quick call to action for you before we get rolling with this discussion. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to leave a rating and review. The reviews are probably the most helpful. It gives me the feedback to keep recording the show, and it also helps put the show on the map. But if you're short on time, if you can just hit that five-star button, we greatly appreciate that as well. Again, that's manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. With that, let's not waste any time on getting to St. Louis, Missouri. Let's sit down with Travis Sheridan to talk about innovation as the process for improving the human condition. All right, well, cheers. Only cheers. proper way to start. Thanks for being on the show, Travis. Thanks for having me. Mm. Enjoying a nice black and tan for this first round. Absolutely, and and I always like to start with a, a little picture of the venue. So paint a picture. Where are we? Where are we? And what are we drinking? So what I love about we're the Scottish Arms in uh, right outside the Cortex District, or I guess Cortex adjacent in St. Louis, and 
I think what I love about this bar, uh, not only does it have great, you know, beer and scotch. I love scotch. I'm a whiskey guy. But it's also a place, it's the watering hole for the startup community around Mm -hmm. the Cortex area. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, generally, you can walk over here after work and you'll run into other people. And I don't know. I I grew up watching the show Cheers. Like, you just want that place where Mm -hmm. you walk in, literally, literally, everybody knows your name. You sit down and have a conversation. But if I look back to how Silicon Valley really got its start, there were two things that I I can think about when I look back historically. And I'm not old enough to be there, have been there when it started. Sure. Uh, Part of it was the San Jose Mercury News Mm -hmm. dedicating a beat reporter to say, we're going to cover this thing called Startups when the San Francisco Chronicle wasn't. Mm -hmm. So there was a... Media that gave it validity. Yeah. And I don't know the name of the bar, but there was a bar. Like, oh, yeah. There was a watering oh, yeah. hole where the guys from Fairchild Electric would go hang out after work. And, you know, it was probably the first, like, post-work co-working space, right? It was a place where, you, you know, like, hey, we're not on work time. Let's get around. Let's sit, sit around and talk about what our hopes and dreams and how we would do things differently. So the Scottish Arms kind of has that feel mm-hmm. for St. Louis. Of course, it's wood paneled, dimly lit, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes a cranky bartender, you know, everything you want in <laughs> a really good watering hole. Yeah, I was uh, I was driving through the shadow of Cortex on the way over yep. here, like you said, kind of the heart of the St. Louis startup community. And I feel, I mean, this is the, we're recording this the day after Christmas. And you already said you're drinking a black and tan. I'm drinking some Civil Life, one of our great local breweries here. Uh, yeah, absolutely. St. Louis and a good uh, ESB, kind of a winter warmer to start things off with. And Fairchild Semiconductor, that is a name I don't think I've ever heard thrown around on the show before. <laughs> and I don't even know if most people would know that reference. But yeah, early Silicon Valley. But well, that's it, what that's what I think is so funny when I, I'm in, you know, I live in St. Louis, but everybody's like, how do we become the next, you know, whatever Silicon Valley? I'm like, mm-hmm. look, that's what generations. Yeah. Like that, oh, yeah. You know. And if you think of the startup world, how, you know, technology replaces itself, mm-hmm. if you're starting back in the late 60s and you are now in 2018, 2019, that's not just one generation. That's like 10 generations in technology and startup mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there won't be another Silicon Valley. And, you know, we can talk about it through this through this show. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think we want another Silicon Valley. But, you know, there was something special that happened back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look at Boston and Cambridge and see what it, the money that MIT has invested into technology and startups. And MIT just announced they're investing $1 billion to create a college specifically at, focused on AI. Oh, wow. That's game changing. Like, it's going to open next uh, September of 2019. Like, that's game changing money, yeah. right? Yep. But that's a billion dollars. Right. Not many places have a billion right. dollars lying around yeah. where they can they kickstart or really uh, amplify a, an industry like that. Yeah, no, no kidding. And, and I'm interested to get your perceptions on, on the St. Louis startup scene, Midwestern startup scene, and really a lot of the startup scenes you've seen around the world from yeah, the work sure. you're doing. And, and for those of you listening today, I want to make sure I give a, a proper introduction for our guest. I'm joined by Travis Sheridan. And, and you wear, I feel like, a, a handful of hats within the startup scene. You're a, the president of the Venture Cafe Global Institute. Yep. You're on KMOX with your show, Anything Possible, and also nothing impossible nothing Im- yeah. anything possible nothing impossible how did i get that nothing wrong? impossible how did i get that wrong uh, fun fact it was the uh, it was the slogan or the the tagline for the 1904 world's fair mm-hmm. in st louis so felt like it was appropriate to do a show about innovation i had no yeah. idea there was a background behind that yep. boy there's just a good story behind everything you've got and and i guess fundamentally you're just a, a born hustler i think is what you've said before yeah yeah i started working at an early age and not not necessarily out of necessity part of it was out of necessity grew up in a poor household and i wanted new shoes and the only way to get new shoes was to buy them myself or mm-hmm. a gi joe or whatever it was but uh, i remember my first you know entrepreneurial venture was in the, my backyard was this ponding basin, just adjacent to my house was this ponding basin. And so I would, mm-hmm. I would steal or procure cobblestones. And my friend Alfonso and I would go around the block selling them as landscape rocks. Okay. So we're knocking on doors, two adorable little kids. Right? Yeah, uh, yeah. A selling, good marketing ploy right off good, the bat. Yeah. <laughs> Alfonso, he owned the wagon. So, of course, he was in charge of logistics. I was cute and adorable. So I was in sales and marketing. We're selling these rocks. And what was so funny, I, I look back on this and... Uh, we were selling them for 25 cents each mm-hmm. or five for a dollar. So like mm-hmm. even at the age of five and a half, we knew like bulk pricing, we figured sure, out some sure, sort of bulk yeah. pricing scheme. But my mom had this rule that said I was not allowed to cross the street. Pretty 
standard rule that parents have. Yeah. And when I tell the story, I just say like that is the example of strict government regulations, mm-hmm. you know, limiting expansion. So, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So you, yeah. You were already getting more of an education in the right. startup yeah. space than you have. Yeah, you know, uh, learning, learning startups by just doing it, which uh, when we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, that's, there's no better way to learn this sort of business than just trying something and whether it's selling rocks or selling baseball cards or, you know, mowing lawns or babysitting, like there's a lot of ways just to get into this, this startup space. Sure. And, and, and I really want to hear a bit more about your story as well and how, how you dove into it beyond the age of, you know, five years old. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But, you know, I guess for, for some background, I, you know, I threw out what you do with Venture Cafe. What, in your own words, what is it and what do you do? Yeah. So, you know, we're, we, you mentioned that this is the day after Christmas. I always think that like my job is so hard when we go to Thanksgiving dinner, like how do I describe what the hell I do to my yeah. family, right? Yeah. My mom was, was a banker and now she's an accountant. That's real easy. Like you just sure. know that. Absolutely. My younger brother is a chef. Mm-hmm. You know that. My youngest brother like wants to be a DJ and a music producer. You kind of know what that is. Mm-hmm. I left a job in government where I was working in economic development. Mm-hmm. to run this thing called Venture Cafe. And I remember my mom asking if I was suddenly a barista. And I was like so impressed <laughs> she knew what a barista was yeah, that yeah. I'm like, no, I'm not. So uh, <laughs> Venture Cafe started back in 2009 with the official launch in 2010. Started as an idea in nine, launch in 10. Started in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was born out of CIC, the Cambridge Innovation Center, which mm-hmm. is one of the older uh, co-working shared workspaces uh, in the country and really around the world. It's been around since 1999. Mm-hmm. And they were really good at space. And about a decade into their existence, the tenants in their building were like, hey, space is cool, but how do we get to know each other? Like, how do we create a sense of community? Mm-hmm. And instead of changing their business model, CIC said that, yeah, that's important. Let's create a nonprofit organization that will focus on building community. And so mm-hmm. Venture Cafe is that. It works in every in the markets that we're in. And we can mm-hmm. talk about where we are right now around the world. Mm-hmm. But uh, our flagship program is this thing called the Thursday Gathering, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where St. Louis is the largest, actually, with 550 people a week that attend. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, it's the largest. It's technically the largest gathering for innovators and entrepreneurs anywhere in the world that happens huh. on a weekly basis. Interesting. You, know, you throw okay. enough variables in there. I was going to say, yeah. you threw enough caveats yeah. in there. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, you can get the number yeah. one slot that way. <laughs> At this latitude parallel. No, uh, <laughs> but the important thing about bringing people together on a weekly basis is to create this sense of community, right? We to because we don't have, in, in a place like St. Louis, we don't have the Fairchild Semiconductors and, mm-hmm. and a place that's spinning off a lot of startups. And so how do we allow people to normalize their crazy, right? This, this, find a place where they can learn from each other. And so we do this Thursday gathering, which brings people together. We have educational sessions. Mm-hmm. Some things as specific as, you know, how do you hire or fire a co-founder? Mm-hmm. Uh, some things as broad as how do you design, use design thinking principles to combat gun violence? Right. Okay. Like we yeah. our belief, my belief and really what we say with the organization is that innovation is a process to improve the human condition. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about, like that definition. It's not just about entrepreneurship. Right. It's about how do we use this way of thinking to mm-hmm. change society for the better? And so, yes, we could learn more about technology and how to launch a scalable venture, or we could learn about how to improve kids' lives and make sure that, you know, women get out of sex trafficking and that Mm -hmm. type of thing. And bringing that sort of mindset together, like if you think about it, if you bring, I always tell people like, what would you do if you could bring three to 500 people together on a weekly basis? Mm -hmm. Like, well, I would do a lot with that. Like, yeah, it's non-digital, right? It's not a social network or a digital social network. It's people physically together on a weekly basis. And there are a couple other programs that we do, but that's our, that's our flagship. And it's, it expanded to St. Louis back in 2014. And that's when I jumped on board as the, at that point I was the founding executive director for Venture Cafe St. Louis. And Mm -hmm. two years ago I was given the opportunity to run Venture Cafe globally. Mm -hmm. So I used to have the best job in St. Louis now I have the best job in the world. Ooh, not bad. Well, I'm I'm curious how how did you find your way into that? Like, was it something intentional? What what got you into like the startup space and that innovation community building space? And then what yeah. drew you to St. Louis? As yeah, part of that. So I'll be 45 in January. So so people will listen to this, and I will have I will be for, I am 45 now as you're, as this is passing through your ears. <laughs> and I think. At 45, I can now look back and understand my journey. I think mm-hmm. like when you're in the middle of it, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I was just reckless and like doing these odd things. Mm-hmm. 
But the, the short answer is that I studied organizational psychology. First, I studied psychology, thought I wanted to be a therapist, and I'm like, I don't want to listen to people's problems all the time. Sure. So then I studied organizational psychology, and I listened to CEOs' problems all the time. <laughs> and I was, I was doing some consulting work, uh, just kind of freelance consulting work after grad school, and I was being hired by 45 to 55-year-old white males. Tip, that was the, my typical client. Mm -hmm. They were the CEO, and they were hiring me to come in and diagnose and fix what was wrong with their company. Mm -hmm. They would say, oh, the company's toxic. And I would spend two to three months there. I would work with them. I'd work with their teams. And invariably, I and mean, this is like a fake stat, but it's as real as I could say, like nine times out of 10, the person that hired me to fix the problem was the problem. Like it was almost always, it was almost always a leadership issue. Huh. And they didn't, uh, what I learned from my clients is they did not want the answer. Like when I gave yeah. them the answer is like, it's you. They're like, yeah. I need another consultant. <laughs> like Interesting. I, like okay. they, they want that confirmation bias that says, no, I want somebody to tell me what I think, not what it really is. And I was getting beat down. Like it was a pretty crappy like way to live. It's just mm -hmm. like hustling for work where your client isn't happy with your outcome. And this friend of mine was running, this was probably back in say 2002, 2003. This, this friend of mine was running a thing called a business incubator. I had never heard of it. Mm -hmm. And he said, Travis, what if instead of working with 20 year old toxic companies that mm -hmm. are trying to be fixed, what if you could work with a founder and an entrepreneur when there are no employees, mm -hmm. like when they're just getting that idea off the ground and you help them so they don't have to hire you 20 years later? Yeah. And I said, is that a thing? Because I like, I like the idea. Of yeah, it thing. sounds good. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. And that's how I got into working with startups. I mean, okay. I'd already, I'd loved the entrepreneurial side, you know, doing side hustles. I've never been a full-blown entrepreneur myself. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't have, I'm Likewise. not wired for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love a job. I love benefits. I love holiday time. Yeah. But I, I like, I know everything. That, I know a lot that goes into startups and I have had a couple of startups. Uh, I always say that my most successful startup, I had a $13 exit because my co-founder wanted to buy me out. I was moving to St. Louis and, and she said, well, how much do you want for your share? And I said, 13. She's like, well, you're not getting 13 million. I, and I said, no, I just want 13 bucks. It's my lucky number. Nice. Uh, it was a, it was <laughs> quite it, the exit story. It, well, I mean, hey, you know what? It's $13 more than a lot of startups have made. So. True. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, we, uh, so we parted ways and I got 13 bucks. So I have one exit with mm -hmm. my favorite company that I ever started. It's still going strong. It was a co-working space oh, cool. uh, called the hashtag out in Fresno, California. And we had 1800 square feet and now she and a new business partner have close to half a million square feet. So awesome. It's grown. I no longer have a stake in it. It would be worth a lot more than 13 bucks at this time. Sure. Well, I got a good story out of it. That's yeah. always worth it. Yeah. yeah, 13 bucks has much more value from a story standpoint. Yeah. But that's how I got involved working with startups and that I've, I look back now and I realize that my career has been about designing communities. You know, startups are a community. Uh, I live in North St. Louis. There's a community there that I like to spend time with. I do a thing called booze storming, very similar to uh, getting around and having smart people drink. I've, I've heard of this before. Yeah, that, so, that was probably going to come up at some point. Yeah, I do a thing called booze storming, <laughs> which is getting people around and solving challenges while drinking. Not a bad thing to do. And I, so I like to design these different communities. And, mm -hmm. and that's what Venture Cafe now allows me to do. I, mm -hmm. When I launched, when I was working and doing Venture Cafe in St. Louis, I was able to d help design the startup community here and really put pieces together to help it thrive. Mm -hmm. And now at the global level, I get to design a community of communities. You know, you mentioned you're a community member up in Old North County. Where Old North St. Louis. City. O in the Old city. Old North St. Louis. Yeah. Huh? Man, I just keep mi mixing everything up tonight. I guess it's the beer. Anyway. That's okay. I said, I said <laughs> Fairchild Electric. You, you fixed it to Fairchild Semiconductor. You might have been right. I, don't, I, don't, I, think, I think you're right. I, yeah. it, it very well could yeah. have been, but never, nevertheless. Yeah. Um, you well, know, people fact check this later. Yeah. I, I, yeah. We'll see. We'll see who goes through that when they're listening to this in their yeah. car. But, yeah. you know, you've been here a little while now. So what is, what's kind of caused you to fall in love with St. Louis? And why have you become so invested in this community and this startup community of all spots? I get frustrated with St. Louis all the time, especially as I travel and I'm like, oh man, it's just, I know I pretend the grass is greener. It might not be. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to move. And, and here, I think here's why. When I launched Venture Cafe St. Louis, it was July of 2014. That's mm -hmm. so when I was hired. October was when we were launching our programming. And on August 9th of 2014 mm -hmm. was when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson. Okay. And I was going around the city in preparation of launching Venture Cafe, talking about innovation's a process to improve the human condition. You even said it's a great quote. Mm -hmm. It is a good quote. Yeah. But after Michael Brown's death, people started challenging me, and I accepted that challenge. So they're like, for whom? 
Mm-hmm. Now, whose human condition is really being improved by this? Mm-hmm. You know, Cortex is an expensive place. Rent is high there. Mm-hmm. Uh, startups involve risk. A lot of people can't afford to take those risks. They're mm-hmm. not in that position in life mm-hmm. to take those risks. Who is this innovation really improving the life of? Mm-hmm. And at that point, I mean, that, and that's why I, I took the opportunity, I jumped at the opportunity to run Venture Cafe at a global level. At that point, I realized if we are going to design a community, we have to design an inclusive community. Mm-hmm. We have to design a community mm-hmm. for the entrepreneurs and the hustlers. Mm-hmm. We have to design a community for those that have historically not been a part of this innovation space to be, be in it so they could take some chances. And that's, what I, that's why I stay in St. Louis is because it's a place that, can, that I can be challenged yeah. that could not only make me a better person and prove my own human condition as, mm-hmm. as a person, but they're lessons that I could use as we're spreading Venture Cafe into other markets. And so uh-huh. now when I go to other markets and people are showing me around their, their slick and sexy innovation district, I ask them, for whom? Yeah. Like, I know we want to build this, but if we want to really solve the biggest challenges in, in the world, then we need everybody working on this. Mm-hmm. And we need to create opportunities for the kid that might start with a t-shirt line to mm-hmm. learn about entrepreneurship through t-shirt lines. And mm-hmm. maybe he will never become a fashion designer and maybe he'll never scale it, but he'll know product market fit and how to identify his customers and how to sell the hell out of something. We, we have to create these opportunities. And, and that's why I stay in St. Louis is because it's, it's a place where that teaches me so much on an everyday basis. And I feel completely at home. Uh, like I, it's broken, but it's bro- but there's a lot of people working everywhere trying to fix this brokenness. Boy, this could bring up a lot of a lot of different conversations based on this, and and it kind of reminds me of a quote that I came across as as I was preparing for uh-huh. this, or because you talk about how the the idea of celebrating failure and yeah. someone that lives out in San Francisco and sees this every day. I think I wrote it down. You, you call it a battle cry for those with privilege, a safety net, or a series of successes. Yeah. Uh, do you want to dive into that? Because I've got a question on top of that, but do you want to go into that a little bit more? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> people would say that. And so I, one day I just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a Google search of celebrate failure mm-hmm. and see who says that. Like, yeah. who are the people behind these quotes? Mm-hmm. And they weren't always older. They were younger, kind of college-age dudes, mm-hmm. you know, programmers and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They were like, <laughs> you know, just like that, se- that season of uh, Silicon Valley where they're at Tech Crunch Disrupt. Yeah. Like, we're going to change the world. Like, yeah. it just becomes this thing that's a throwaway. Mm-hmm. But I looked at who was saying, like, people saying it. They come from positions of privilege. They're, they're highly employable. They're saying it from a venture-backed position, which means mm-hmm. it's not their money that, that they're failing with. It's right. somebody else's money. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, just, I felt like it was BS, like this idea of celebrating failure. And then I looked at what message that sends to other people. Like I talked to investors and investors are like, I don't want anybody celebrating failure. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. my money. I, yep. I, have, I have a fiduciary responsibility to, mm-hmm. my, to the limited partners who put money in here. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody celebrating failure. I would never get behind an entrepreneur who celebrated failure. Mm-hmm. And I look at, you know, the entrepreneurs that are in North St. Louis where I live and like for them, failure could be catastrophic, right? Yeah. Failure yeah. means they're out of their house or failure means somebody is not getting food or failure means, you know, fill in the blank of something bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not to be celebrated. And so I like the idea of learning from failure. Yeah. I even like the idea of normalizing it to a certain extent. When you say you're going to celebrate it, it's because the fall isn't that, bad. It's yeah, like, right. it's a right. minor inconvenience. Well, I've, I've heard, um, what's his name? Mark Andreessen mm-hmm. out in, out in San Francisco. I think he's, I, I felt he has a pretty good line around failure where he says, you know, failure at like, you know, maybe a tactical level is okay. Like fail little, little failures, but when you fail at a strategic level, like that's bad. Yeah. Like, so, and I, I thought that was a, a helpful differentiation as well. Yeah. And, and the reason I, I wanted to ask about that is that my, the, my real question is based on what you were saying about St. Louis, do you feel it's a more inclusive startup community that is really solving problems for everyone, not just the first world problems that you see, let's say in a more tech saturated market like San Francisco? I think so. I, I, kind of wish there were more. This, is sounds, this sounds very counter to what I was just saying. I wish there were more startups trying to solve first world problems mm-hmm. because they're easier to venture back and easier to scale and easier right. to get to exit. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Be the Uber of something that, mm-hmm. that people don't really need and then sell, make a lot of money doing it because we don't really have the exits yet that are going to lead to... I mean, our biggest exit in the last few years has probably been Answers.com, which okay. like serve no good purpose. I mean, I love David Karandish and the team that that built that, but mm-hmm. it's not like solving any problem. It's just like trivia. Yeah. But what I think, excuse me, 
podcast. Totally okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm not editing that out, yeah, by it's, the way. It's all sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> we, have a, we have a folly artist that's just like doing sound effects for us. Uh, but I think what St. Louis is doing is they are using this innovation system and, and mechanism to solve some of our social challenges. And they're not as sexy. They can't be backed by venture capital. They're slow and they're not that scalable in theory in reality, if you solve something here, it can be exported elsewhere. So if we do solve, I mean, our St. Louis Public School, 72% of the kids at St. Louis Public School read below grade level. Okay. Right. So that's a problem. That is a big problem. We could talk about coding programs and STEM education and, and whatnot, but if a kid can't read, they can't read. Yep. So if we invest a lot of time, energy in solving literacy mm-hmm. or addressing literacy and coming up with some sort of incremental improvement, then there are other schools around the world, around the country that have literacy problems. That, mm-hmm. that solution can be exported. Right. We have a huge issue with vacant buildings. You know, if we do some things around our vacant buildings, maybe those could be best practices and something that can be exported. So we are scaling on some of our, so- we are finding some ways to employ our social ventures. The other place that we're really good is in the biosciences, mm-hmm. you know, a bioscience and ag tech. The challenge with those is they take a lot of money to get off the ground mm-hmm. and they take a long time, you know, mm-hmm takes, you know, a nine-figure uh, amount, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars normally and seven to 12 years mm-hmm. uh, before you hit any traction. And usually the traction you get is you've de-risked it enough that a larger pharma is going to come acquire it. So yeah. it's like not really scalable. Got it. Uh, but it puts money into the back into the community. And mm-hmm. we need to get to the place now. This is where I feel like, uh, so I moved here seven years ago. I have not seen, if I have not seen, like, if you take the the class of 2010 startups and which are now eight years old, like some of these should be getting to meaningful exit mm-hmm. and we haven't gotten there yet. I think uh, Jim Eberlin and uh, I can't remember what the, his first startup was. Uh, it was an analytics company. It's done pretty well. He started top ops. I think that that's done well. He's one or two. He's like the fact that I can name our serial entrepreneurs on a single hand mm-hmm. is like part of the problem. Sure. Because we, while we still have social challenges, Mm-hmm. that require more wealth in the community. Our startup community has not necessarily generated that yet. It's an interesting juxtaposition where some of the biggest problems aren't necessarily the ones that really put a startup scene yeah. on the map, per se. Right, but if you think of the problems that are being solved in San Francisco New- and New York, they're not serious problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I flew in from out of town, and I love that I could order takeout via Postmates, right, mm-hmm. and have it delivered to my house. Right. That's a luxury problem. That's not, like, it's, it's an inconvenience. It's it an makes, inconvenience. It makes yeah. life more convenient. Yeah. The fact that we can do things with the click of a button, like book an Airbnb, yeah. call a cab, would yeah. Uber, Lyft, whatever you want to call it. Like, yeah, those are those are solutions that have made life easier for people that already had life pretty easy, right. to be yeah. totally honest. Yeah. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. This episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the world's largest electronic library of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. And because you listening to this amazing, amazing podcast, we're giving you one free audiobook when you sign up for your first trial of Audible. You can do that by going to audibletrial.com slash happy hour pod. Now, why would you want to do such a thing? Well, let's be honest. These podcasts only last about 30 minutes to an hour, but audiobooks give you much more listening pleasure beyond that. So when you wrap up your episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour, you can tune in to the audiobook of your choosing on Audible. You get a new credit every month, so that's a new book a month. And for me, that's where I get my leadership books. That's where I get my non-leadership books. That's where I get my rock and roll books. That's where I get my fiction. Anything I want to read, typically, I'm going to Audible to get it. Again, you can claim your free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. And now, let's get back to today's episode. You know, I want to take this, I want to bring this on a global scale. Sure. Also, too, yeah. because you get, you get to see a lot of different startup communities, a lot of different startup scenes, innovation communities whatever we want to call them. You know, what are, what are some things that you've seen here in other spots that can help different regions of the world build those more inclusive communities and build, or just successful communities in general that really solve the big problems? This last year I started, every time I would visit a city, I would 
I would identify one lesson I'm taking from that city, mm-hmm. right? So I could, it's really no more than a tweet. Like, it's just like, what's 140 characters that can encapsulate something I've learned from this city? Uh, and the reason I'm doing, I've started doing that is each one of these cities have something that's broken that, or something that they've been able to solve that other people could learn from. And I, I think one of my favorite ones that I learned was in New York City, which nobody ever sees, thinks is a broken city, right? That's like everything happens in New York. Sure. But there, I was sitting in a, in a meeting and this uh, economic development professional said he was exasperated. He's like, oh, it just really sucks that New York is flyover country when it comes to the biosciences. And I just like, right, so I just laughed. I didn't like, yeah. I just like started laughing, like not maniacally, but just like, sure. this is kind of funny as a guy yeah. living in St. Louis. But what I, what I took from that you know, even in a place like New York is that every city is somebody else's flyover country. Mm-hmm. Like no, you know, even as great as you think New York is like, they're frustrated about something. And, mm-hmm. and so as I, as I travel, the things that I've seen that really help innovation communities, mm-hmm. uh, I, before we started recording, I was mentioning Melbourne, Australia, and you said your sister lives in yeah. Melbourne. Yep. Yeah. She's been there about two years now. Okay. Yeah. Such a cool city. Like we are, we're launching an operation in Sydney. We're not launching in Melbourne yet. I'd love to. Uh, I would. Th- I would have thought Melbourne because I feel like Melbourne, from what I've heard, it's yeah. like the tech capital of Australia. Is that just uh, uh, marketing ploy? Or? No, no, no. They're, I actually think Melbourne is doing sometimes, sometimes a lot more than Sydney is. Yeah. At this case, and it, it's very much uh, if you think of like L.A. versus San Francisco, or even St. Louis versus Chicago, like they're two cities that are like mm-hmm. hated, yeah, always at their each other their rivals. Well, I have a very healthy rivalry with Chicago. Just to be yeah, totally clear, everybody, yeah, everybody, <laughs> everybody from St. Louis should. What uh, What happened with Sydney and Melbourne is they were kind of competing to see who was going to be the first one to have Venture Cafe and Sydney mm-hmm. just like moved faster. So, Got it. Okay. Uh, which really I... frustrated Melbourne. But the thing that I <laughs> love about Melbourne, I, I guess part of it is could be attributed to the fact that they're very much a coffee culture. Like they're supposed mm-hmm. to have like the best coffee oh, yeah. in the world. And, it's pretty good. But that coffee culture really translates into human interactions. Like, uh-huh. like they understand the importance of community. Mm-hmm. And as I've spent a lot of time in Melbourne and drinking a lot of coffee, and they also have good beer in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. What I learned, what I noticed about Melbourne, as a, that something else people can learn is most people leading good stuff in the startup ecosystem are women. Interesting. You know, the woman that runs like their statewide, state of Victoria's, you know, innovation platform and investment platform is a woman. Her board chair is a woman. There's a, uh, a tech group that's run by a woman. The chief technology officer for the city of Melbourne is a woman. Like there's all these women uh, just doing amazing things in the startup community. If you want to know, like, why is Melbourne on the world stage and why are people paying attention to it? There's letting the women run. Mm. And I shouldn't even say letting them. That sounds very paternalistic to say letting women win. Women are running things yeah. and they're doing a good job. And if you think about the coffee culture and the, the commitment to human relationships and having women running things who are more relational, if we you know, buy into the stereotypes, like, but they're also very tactical and getting crap done. Like sure. they're doing good things for their, for their startup community. And so as I travel, I look around and go, like, what's different here? Like, why is it working here? And, I, and same thing with St. Louis. Like, I take, you know, our focus uh, on getting smart people addressing our racial issues. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's something that's learning. We want to take that elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I was in Cape Verde, uh, just an island country off of the co- coast of Western Africa for a conference. And it's a, the entire population of the country is half a million people, and it's mm-hmm. spread across 10 islands. So it's like a really small population. But they're doing great things in the, uh, in the innovation space at a very small scale, on a very localized scale. But they're doing it because they have this, I, I just say, they're, like, they're in this midst of transition and they're able to dwell in the midst of transition. Mm-hmm. Like they're not, they're not too anxious to jump the, jump the line. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's something about maybe it's island culture, I don't know, this whole idea okay. of dwelling. Yeah, yeah. But I, I see so many innovation communities that aren't patient in that dwelling. Even, I'll even say St. Louis. Like, mm-hmm. We want to be the next blank, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. no. You know, for St. Louis, since we'll keep it hyper-local, St. Louis's goal should be a better version of St. Louis next year than it is this year, mm-hmm. right? For a, a country like Cape Verde, they don't want to be the Silicon Valley of Africa. They want to be a better version of Cape Verde next year than they are this, this year. They are dwelling in their authentic assets, and they're trying to improve them incrementally. Everybody wants to talk about disruption, but the most disruptive thing you can do is self-improvement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And for your region, for your person, for your, even for your venture, like... I don't want Venture Cafe to be, you know, a startup grind. If we think of another chapter-related thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want it to be startup grind. I want it to be a better version of Venture Cafe next year Mm -hmm. than it is this year. Uh, Control what we can control. And I I feel like Cape Verde uh, embodies that. And so as I travel, I just 
I take these little lessons and try to, you know, God rest his soul, Anthony Bourdain. I used to love watching his shows. And I, I feel Likewise. like I'm like, I want to just be the Anthony, Anthony Bourdain for like the startup community. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a great goal to have. Yeah. People no. out there listening, you know, call. I don't have an agent, but if I had one, call them. We'll make yeah. that happen. <laughs> All right. All right. It's funny you bring that up because... Well, one, I love what you're saying about being a better version of X, whether it's a country, city, whatever it is. I think yeah. uh, it might have been like a Gary Vaynerchuk T-shirt of yeah. some, like something where it's like, you know, a penguin shouldn't aspire to be like a giraffe. Like, yeah. just be the best penguin you can be. Yeah. No, no. And, if, I, if I'm channeling Gary Vee, I got to I gotta watch out. <laughs> well, I like it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, he's, yeah. He, he comes up on the show every once in a while. He can be a little abrasive. But that was just an example <laughs> yeah. of one thing I saw where – where what you mentioned about just being the better version of, you know, St. Louis, of, yeah. you know, whatever country you mentioned, that's where the folks should be. And I think, um, you know, I always I kind of had a I have some Anthony Bourdain inspiration from the show, as you yeah. might imagine, sure. as well too. But I think finally, at one point, I said, you know what, I don't I don't want to be the Anthony Bourdain of X. I just I want to be Chris. Right. You know, and then yeah. so, I, you know, as much as I can pull inspiration and good ideas from other spots, that's kind of what I and. To the same thing you were saying. Yeah. Like, it's good to learn from those spots. But, you know, St. Louis doesn't need to be the next Silicon Valley. And no. no country needs to be the next, you know, whatever country as well. Yeah. You know, it's so one of the things that I, I get concerned with as I'm out setting up venture cafes and other markets and markets are so different. We're in uh, we're in seven. Actually, when this airs, we'll be in eight uh, different markets globally. Ooh. So Boston, St. Louis, Rotterdam, Netherlands, mm -hmm. Miami, Florida, Tokyo, Japan, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Philadelphia, and soon Sydney, Australia. And those are all very different. Uh, I, I think the, the two polar ends would be Tokyo, Japan, and Rotterdam, Netherlands. Sounds about right. Uh, yeah. You know, one is very non-direct. <laughs> one is very direct. Yep. One is risk-taking. One doesn't take risks. Yeah. And so the concern I have is this, like, especially coming from the U.S. and especially representing an organization whose roots and really our critical mass is in New England, mm -hmm. uh, is we do not want to become colonial, colonialists, mm -hmm. right? We do not want to say that when we go to a new market, it has to be the American way. Right. You know, we, I've spent a lot of time this last year in Bilbao, Spain, which the lesson there, I was like, the lesson from Bill Bao, uh is they want to turn innovation into a cultural asset and an am amenity. Mm -hmm. The big transformational thing for Bill Bao Spain about 21 years ago was when they got a Guggenheim Museum. And that just literally put them on a map, figuratively put them on a map for the arts. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they want to do the next thing, that next thing with innovation. They want to use innovation as a cultural amenity. And as I'm going there and Venture Cafe, normally our Thursday gathering runs from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to them. And they're like, look, we everybody works till eight. Like you can't yeah. do it. The, yeah. we, we go from lunch from two to four. Right. And then right, we work right. from four to eight. And then we end. And and so there's like certain elements, sacred, you know, call them sacred cows or attributes of our operation that I have to adjust culturally. In Rotterdam, it would be rude. So we have this rule at Venture Cafe that, you know, you can't, uh, we offer free beer and wine, which is also very nice of us to do, but people, you have to get it yourself. Like you can't, uh, like if you want it, you have to go stand in line and get your free mm -hmm. beer. Well, in Rotterdam, it would be really rude to walk away from a group and just get one beer. The cultural norm is walking away, say, hey, uh, who wants a beer? Like there's five of you, you'd go get five beers yeah. and bring them back. Yeah. And while that is counter to our quote unquote mm -hmm. rules, mm -hmm. To force it would really break their cultural norms. Right. Um, and so I, as we're expanding anything globally, we just I want to be very mindful that our mission is at its core, but like it takes on a local flavor. Yeah. Boy, you've brought a lot of information from just, you know, how you respect different cultures within a startup scene, mm -hmm. you know, how you approach failure within startups. I guess I want to add with one piece of actionable advice, because we've got a lot of folks in addition to people that like beer, but people that are like solopreneurs, entrepreneurs yeah. that do listen to this show. You know, what's what's an advice advice you'd have to like keep that element of I don't know if it's self-awareness per se, but self-awareness and cultural awareness when they're going through their entrepreneurial journey? You know, very practically, if you're especially if you're a solopreneur, you need to have a community around you because if because you'll seem you'll make really bad and stupid mistakes if you're not connecting to other people. Mm -hmm. If you're not bouncing your idea off of somebody else, uh, it'll be a crapshoot if you ever hit product market fit if you're just doing it all on your own and isolated. But I think practically, you know, entrepreneurship is a culture in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And I think a person that says, "But I'm going to do it differently," is like negating all the things that people have done before them. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of this that's replicable. I used to 
tell when I was working at the business incubator, I used to tell my clients, look, your product bores me. I don't care what your product is. Like, right. A lot of the stuff is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me you don't need it. You do need it. Your product will come and be, be itself when it's, when it's time to be itself. Mm-hmm. But for the solopreneurs, like, don't focus so much on your product. Think about the process and talk to people about that process. What keeps that solopreneur up right now at 2 o'clock in the morning was keeping somebody else up three months ago yeah. at 2 o'clock in the morning. Find out what that is, and you'll sleep better at night. You know, there's, there's, there should be no reason why a person feels like they have to, especially given how broad communities are now, mm-hmm. either digitally or physically, just get together. I had somebody say that the thing they like about Venture Cafe is it's a safe place to come in with your craziest idea. All right. We want people to come in and just feel safe somewhere. You know, I'm I'm curious. I kind of want to start. We we talked a lot about St. Louis. You've talked about some of the other areas like Sydney's getting off the ground, Philadelphia, Rotterdam. You know, what is like, what's a startup scene that just really surprised you when you went to there for the first time or just something that really you didn't expect when you got there? So there's two, uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, mm-hmm. because if you're thinking about North Carolina, you're generally thinking Raleigh-Durham area yeah. or maybe the Charlotte area. Mm-hmm. Winston-Salem is smaller, incredibly small, probably population 250, mm-hmm. but the surrounding population isn't much bigger. So it's not like there's this huge metro, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, I, what really surprised me is the level of intersectionality as it relates to s- industries. So the Winston, uh, Wake Forest Medical School is located in Winston-Salem, mm-hmm. as is the North Carolina School of the Arts, one of the largest conservatories. Mm-hmm. And what I loved learning as I started looking into Winston is that those two schools actually worked together quite a bit. So the medical school worked directly with the School of the Arts to have the, school, uh, the people that were studying set design mm-hmm. at the School of the Arts designed uh, post-operative recovery rooms mm-hmm. for the hospital. Mm-hmm. And that was just something I'm like, you know what? That's where innovation is going to happen. Like when, when you walk into a community and the silos are already broken down a little bit or they have a, they have a history of knowing that they can work uh, across sectors, that was, a, that was a good thing. And so I, I look for that when I go to other cities as well. Like what are those places where the silos are already broken down or, or they, they have a willingness to say, we don't have all the answers. Maybe another industry, another sector might have the answers. Yeah. Uh, and so I as we talk about things to look for in other markets, like that's something that I encourage people. If you're traveling around and you're like, oh, they have a really strong tech sector, I'd say, well, how does that tech sector work with the arts or the nonprofit sector or government or vice versa? The other city is probably Miami. Miami. Uh, Interesting. Okay. When I look at the demographics of who attends Venture Cafe in Miami, they generally have a 51 to 49 split on gender where women are a majority. Okay. The minority is the majority there. I think over 50% of the people are not from Miami. They're from outside of the area. Okay. If we think about all all this research that's done that says that diverse and inclusive teams are better teams, I get to see that in practice in Miami. And I would say, yes, that research is true. It was an interesting experiment because Miami is very much an events-driven city. It's kind of a see or be seen. I mean, it's, there's a lot of similarities between Miami and like Los Angeles. Like it's yeah. just glitzy and yeah. I would say somewhat superficial if you just look at it as an outsider looking in. Right, right. And what Venture Cafe's big challenge there was, was saying, how do we move from throwing events to creating a community Mm -hmm. because people are used to attending things from an event perspective. They're not used to attending things from a community perspective. And was there kind of like a whiz bang expectation? Like if you were doing an event, it had to be a little, Oh, like you had to have a step and repeat. You had to have like a red carpet, like something like like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, You had to have the lights down, you know, there had to be a DJ. All Uh, right. All right. (laughs) uh, And so what, Uh, I think they still have a step and repeat, but they removed a lot of those other artifacts because they didn't want people to see it as an event. Okay. Because they had a hard time. You can't, it's hard to get volunteers for an event because you don't want to go to an event and work an event. Like, it's just like, Hey, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to attend, not to work. So it's been really cool to see how an operation like Venture Cafe can help shift the culture just a little bit within Miami to get more people accustomed to being part of a community, mm-hmm. especially people that aren't from Miami. I mean, if you think of it as like much more of a, most people aren't from there, to create a community is difficult when there's not that, that sense of place. Uh, and so the Venture Cafe has been able to do that by bringing people together around Venture Cafe. Mm-hmm. And then the last place I'll probably mention where I've just like, it's really shocked me is probably Sydney, uh, yeah. Australia. Uh, and it's mostly because I had these, uh, you know, these fast you know, these fantasy ideas of what Sydney was, right? They're all like blonde dudes with hats taped to the side <laughs> and crocodile dundee. But it's very similar to New York 
except it's a little bit more humane. <laughs> like, okay. Like people are a little bit more down to earth. And what I love about it is they're deadly serious, but don't take themselves seriously. I, I think, yeah, I what, agree with that. Which I think is a really important thing for a startup community. Like I want every startup that I interact with to be so serious about their mission and what they're trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. social good or not. Like I want them to be serious about that. But my favorite entrepreneurs are the ones who don't take themselves so seriously. And when you can create it, when you can create it, see a whole community like that, that's like, we want to move in this direction, but we know we're going to make some mistakes and we know we're not perfect and we're going to learn from them. You know, if it doesn't go right, it's probably my fault. Like there's just there's this humility about it, which I really like about Sydney. Whenever I talk to startups there, like the other thing I like about them is they think globally from day one. Mm-hmm. I mean, the total addressable market for the country is 24 million. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to grow anything that scales, you have to think outside of your market right. immediately. Yep. And that, I think, shifts an entrepreneur's perspective. If they know, and it's not easy to get there or get out of there. So oh, if you no. are going to, if you I are. I could not live in Sydney no. or Australia. No. It's just too far away. I, I, <laughs> I've, I went there five times in a 12-month period. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's how I earned most of my frequent flyer miles. Was just going. spent a lot of time in LAX then, yeah. if that's the case. Uh, LAX and Dallas, depending on where I was okay. flying into. Okay. But any entrepreneur that's going to scale has to think about, you know, the ridiculousness. Again, not taking themselves too seriously. The ridiculousness of this idea of being worth getting outside of the borders. Mm-hmm. Like how crazy can it, does it need to be in order for, to get traction outside of the, the total addressable market of 24 million? Uh, and I love that about the Australian market because they, they also know, look, it's hard to, like if people in St. Louis are like, oh, geez, investors never come visit me from the coast. Guess what? Investors never go to Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's very Pri- true. Cry me a river. And the, the people that have, the other challenge with Sydney is the people that have wealth that could be investors. Mm-hmm. Most of them have made their money in real estate, which means they're not the best investors for startups. Like they haven't made their money that way. If we go back to our early conversation about Silicon Valley and, you know, Fairchild Semiconductors or Fairchild Electric, whichever it might be. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do uh, fact checked. (laughs) You know, if that's where the startup community start uh, began, Mm -hmm. that's the genesis, then we have generation after generation after generation of people who made them their money in startups Mm -hmm. and in technology. So they're going to be more uh, aligned with investing in that. So you have a lot of wealth in Sydney, but it's just not comfortable in the startup space. Yeah. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to check out the full episode over at Pubcast Worldwide. In the meantime, we're going to wrap this up Pubcast style with some local food and beverage recommendations from Travis. Well, you know what? We're here We're here drinking beers here in the Scottish Arms right now. But if we were to go somewhere else in St. Louis, what are a couple other spots you'd recommend people hit up in the St. Louis area? I really like Bird and Barrel over near Cherokee. Uh, they've got a good beer selection. Um, not a lot on tap. Most of it's canned, but a good beer selection. And, uh, and I'm even a vegetarian, and I still tell you to go to a chicken place because <laughs> yeah. they have yeah. a uh, – a cauliflower po' boy that's just amazing. Oh, that but uh, but good. also, if you like fried chicken, I hear it's like some of the best fried chicken. So Bird and Barrel, definitely hit that up. Uh, and then I see another place that I would I would recommend. Uh, well, actually, right around the corner from here, just across the street, Juniper. Uh, uh, oh yeah, uh, they just opened up a new space uh, here in the in the Cortex area. Uh, that's always good. And then I yes for two, but I have to give you the third uh, Vicia over in Cortex. Mm, yep, yep, yep. Um, I think it was just named one of the best restaurants of 2018 uh, in the country. Uh, uh, the husband and wife team moved from Brooklyn to St. Louis to open this restaurant. It's phenomenal. Uh, don't you don't go for beer. You go for the food and a lot of wine. Yeah, I um So two comments to that. I missed my opportunity to hit Vissi on this trip because, you know, I'm going home to have dinner with my family tonight yeah. before I get out of town. But I need to put a higher priority to St. Louis fine dining because there's some good stuff here yeah. right now. And as someone that is uh, a open carnivore, I can confirm that Burden Barrel has some of the best nugs in the world. Yeah. So actually, they smell delicious. Oh, they're yeah. great. Well, <laughs> yeah. I told you. So my sister's in town and her boyfriend from New Zealand is yeah. here also. And I'm like, one of the things I need to do is get a bunch of nuggets from Burden Barrel and introduce you to these two. Yeah. So he'll, he'll, he'll be going to a blues game also. Like he'll be getting okay. the St. Louis experience. But I just to just to confirm your point, nuggets at Burden Barrel are part of the St. Louis experience now. Very good. So and then what's the best way to connect with you, Travis? Uh, so not on Facebook because I avoid 
avoid fa- I'm not on Facebook, All but right. Twitter and Instagram. And like I said, first and last name, at Travis Sheridan for both of those. Perfect. Well, I will have links to those in the show notes. For those of you listening, stay thirsty. And Travis, thank you so much for being on today's show. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Bottoms up. And for those of you listening, we'll see you again next time. Hey, thanks for listening, and a big thanks to Travis for jumping on the show. Or I guess I should say jumping on Pubcast Worldwide, but I'm glad this fit the vibe for Manufacturing Happy Hour as well. And first and foremost, I have to give a big congratulations to Travis, who actually just started a new role. Yes, he is no longer the executive director of Venture Cafe Global, but he is on a familiar path. He is now the chief community officer of Wexford Science and Technology, which what this organization does is they build knowledge communities um, or robust innovation districts across the U.S., and they've actually worked closely with Venture Cafe. So sounds like Travis is well suited to take on his next adventure. I hope you found this episode valuable. I hope you found it interesting in terms of some of the different dynamics of innovation communities around the world, particularly those outside of the U.S. And I also hope you took that advice Travis had around community to heart. I know he was really referring to entrepreneurs and solopreneurs, but the same goes for the manufacturing industry. Chances are the challenges you're facing in manufacturing, whether it's leading your team, whether it's reducing lead times, these are issues other people have faced before. And it's very important to have that community in place. I've got two community recommendations. The first is obviously going to be Venture Cafe in this uh, in this case. They are in 11 cities around the world. So if they happen to be in your city, highly recommend trying to make it a habit to go out to their weekly Thursday gatherings, but they're also a ton of fun to visit if you happen to be traveling around. Like I mentioned, I've been to Tokyo. I almost made it to Warsaw recently after Travis got wind that I was running around Europe. Unfortunately, I wasn't there on a Thursday, but certainly a valuable experience to see things outside of the U.S. and how collaboration works in different cultures. You can learn more at VentureCafeGlobal.org to find a meetup near you. In addition, if you are digging the Manufacturing Happy Hour podcast, highly recommend you check out the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community on LinkedIn. That is where you can collaborate with other forward-thinking manufacturing leaders. We have over 100 people in that group so far, so check that out again. That is the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community on LinkedIn. Now, while this episode may have seemed long, this was actually an abbreviated episode. If you want to catch Travis's full episode of Pubcast Worldwide, including more of Travis's misadventures in startups, a few drinking stories from both of us, as well as why buying URLs is one of the best things you can do after you've had a few too many beverages, head over to pubcastworldwide.com slash 52 to take you directly to that episode. That's pubcastworldwide.com slash 52. Five, two. I'm actually working on the next round of episodes for that show as we speak, where we'll be drinking in Poland, Romania, Montreal, and Denver, Colorado, just to name a few of the destinations where we're going to be talking about beer. As always, I could direct you to a couple more links, but I've already gone a little longer than I normally would, so the one thing I want to do is just give one final shout-out to our sponsor, Audible, which is the largest library for spoken word entertainment and audiobooks. Because you're a listener of this show, you can cash in on one free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. And with that, that's a wrap on this episode today. More interviews are right around the corner, and they're just going to keep on coming. So make sure to tune in next week here at Manufacturing Happy Hour. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.